Aaron Del Ponte, welcome to the podcast where myself and Ryan Rogers uh, are exploring the connection between retail and social media. We are honored to have you. Um, I personally have worked with Aaron uh, once before on a project for uh, Swanson Wheel, which is uh, one of her brand's mental health products. But Aaron, if you could maybe just start with just a short little like, hey, how you doing? A little bit about your bio. Yeah. A little bit about where you are now. And then we'll kind yeah. of jump, jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. So my background has primarily been in direct to consumer digital marketing and retail um, over the past decades, we'll say, right? <laughs> uh, most recently, I'm with Swanson Health Products. Um, we're a 54-year-old vitamin supplement company who primarily has historically um, been in the direct-to-consumer space and over the past few years have migrated into retail. So um, a lot of what I do as SVP of marketing is oversee the brand um, and really driving that brand awareness and driving traffic in-store um, you know, through digital and print as well. So um, able to pull all of my experiences together in this role, which is really fun. So looking forward to talking with you about it. And that's exactly why Ryan and I were excited to have you this migrating into retail, taking a brand that has been direct to consumer for so long. I remember when I first started working in the natural products industry, Swanson was more of like a website. Yeah. My clients' products were sold on. And yep. now they bring you in along with your team to help start migrating into retail. So you could just kind of tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a fun, it's a fun time to be part of the organization. So we actually started as a catalog company, so way before the internet, right? And then as the world migrated online, so did we. Um, and as our business grew, and we, you know, we could see the increasing demand for Swanson. Um, we knew, one, there was a couple different ways we could expand. One was in international markets, and two was domestic retail. So we're sort of entering or have been entering the retail space in, in two different ways. One with our core brand, Swanson. Um, so we've had some regional distribution um, in retail. And then we developed um, a sub-brand, which we call Swanson WIO, and WIO stands for Wellness Inside and Out. And what we did was we really wanted to address a younger audience than what we would see with our standard um, Swanson core audience, and really hit on those three areas that we knew were relevant to a younger audience. That was like sleep, stress, and cognition, and really zeroing in on tools for mental health. And so we knew that D2C is important, but we also knew that retail would be really important for this sub-brand as well to reach the right customer. So um, we are, right now, we're primarily in CVS and Hy-Vee. Uh, we're in some other regional chains as well. But... Um, you know, starting our journey with WIO and retail, and it's been really, it's been really exciting. Have you had any, um, like, so tell us like a little bit more, dive into that, like social media specifically journey. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we'll focus on WIO, but then I'd also would be interested to hear the difference of your social media strategy specific to retailers on Swanson as opposed mm -hmm. to WIO. Yeah. So we, a big part of, so I oversee our brand, um, the brand awareness piece, and we really lean in heavily on social to drive that awareness. So it's our relationships with influencers and ambassadors. Um, you know, we, 
use our own organic social and paid social as well as these these partners to really storytell um, about mental health, about how we provide solutions for these common mental health concerns um, and really sort of like create this education tool, giving you know consumers a place where they can engage with us and really understand where they can, you know, and then we think about in terms of retail, like where can we buy this product? So whether we're driving them to um, in-store or we're driving to, to our partner retailers, or in some cases, we'll even drive them to our where to buy so that they can make the selection on the best place for them to purchase the products for themselves. And we, you know, we rely a lot on, on video content, you know, which is really how you and I came to know each other. Um, we know that this core audience really um, engages with video and it's important for them for a storytelling and educational standpoint. Um, so that's really, that's really sort of been our focus on WIO. Where Swanson's a little bit different, how we lean in with that a little bit differently is Swanson is very, the assortment is much larger on the core brand. So where we have 1600 SKUs, you know, WIO, we have five SKUs in store, but 25 SKUs within that, um, within that sub-brand. Um, on the, the Swanson brand, where you know, we have this, this huge assortment, it's really sort of breaking it down for consumers to understand, I'm looking for heart health help. What are those solutions that help you with that? I'm looking for, and it's, it's, it's a deeper dive into the solutions available for them um, and how we can help them with those, with those concerns. So where we maybe use more video on WIO, there's probably more still, um, you know, still photography or more, I would say even long form content that we use for the Swanson audience. And again, it's just because uh, it's just really how each of those different audiences engages with the content is really how we, is what we, we offer up to them. So I think as a retailer enough, you know, having been at a retailer like Target, like how are you conveying that message like on the wheel side of things, like you're trying to tell the buyer either in a pitch deck or some mm -hmm. sort of, you know, dialogue meeting, like how are you, you know, translating some of that information? Like, Hey, like we want to be on the shelf, you know, we are on shelf and these other retailers and we're able to kind of, you know, gain traction with that youthful audience, you know, mm -hmm. with these ways, like how are you kind of, you know, messaging that to the retailer on mm -hmm. how you're getting to the audience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is, I mean, again, because we have a lot of regional players, a lot of it's geo-targeting. So we're able to sort of um, geo-target and actually even support specific retailers um, in any digital marketing efforts. I'll say social or any kind of digital will develop campaigns specific to a retailer with the intention of, looking at velocity sort of before, during, and after those campaigns, looking at, uh, you know, sales volume as far as what we're seeing online on their particular marketplaces or additional traffic that we see to our where to buy to say, okay, which CVS in my area has this product available? Um, so we really try to build a case study of how we specifically target people in the right regions, giving them that message that, you know, here's the solution, here's where you can find it, here's where we find it, um, you know, on shelf and, and the results that we see by giving consumers those instructions on the education and where to buy it. So, I mean, I got so you... go ahead, Ryan. I was just gonna, sorry, just to put a finer point on that. So you're, mm. 
you're explaining to especially new retail like hey this is our mm -hmm. recipe for success and how we monitor that and we would kind of leverage those same tools to you know bring consumers into your store because they're looking for our type of product right right and we try to and i'd also say too um we try to marry in-store activations with any social activations as well so like for example we've worked with influencers who help drive traffic in store when we know we're running um a specific store promotion and so we can geo-target that um that content as well and also sort of tying into the in-store activations in a digital space as well so we really try to make sure we create that tight connection between the retailer and the story that we're telling because really honestly what retailers want is they want they want you to bring in additional foot traffic right they want you to create additional you know value or increase in their basket size so we it's important for us to drive them into those retailers as well and we're very mindful of that yeah it's all incrementality right exactly exactly sorry Isaac you were saying yeah no I mean you kind of answered part of my question Aaron but you know, so you do a social media activation, whether you're bringing creators or influencers and running geotargets, but then at the same time, you're also doing in-store activations. Yeah. Uh, you know, from running the social agency, how do like, like, what's your advice to all the other social media agency listeners out there? Like, how do we know what's working, what's not? I know it's all 360, yeah. but yeah, yeah. How, how do you it's, decide it's, where to spend the dollars? Right. Yeah. We always say it's a little squishy, right? So a lot of it is, you know, I'll just use an example. We ran a campaign this summer for a specific retailer and, you know, you create your baseline of, you know, let's look at, let's look at sales velocity before, right? And then we look at, um, you know, once we run the campaign, I've found that it's most effective when you can tie a campaign to an in-store activation that obviously is going to give us your biggest lift. And then we look at, you know, post campaign velocity as well. So you can really give a visual to the retailer to say, we started at point X, but once we ran the campaign, we saw X plus 30%, right? And then once the campaign ended, we were still at X plus 15 from our baseline. So really it's, it's you know, right? Facts are your friends. When we can show, we can tie our activations to sales. That's what the retailer wants to see. And that's what's most important to them as well. So, um, you know, we've found success in that way. And, you're, and there's a lot of retooling that goes along while you're doing it. You know, we're always testing and learning while we do that. Like, is video always the right? Do you want captions? Do you not want captions? Is, is Instagram working better than YouTube? Is, you know, it's so this constant like channel selection, um, creative selection, you know, trying try different call to action. So I think that's been really helpful in us. And it depends on the campaign really which lever you're going to pull and which one you find works better. But we always try to have A-B testing going on at all times so that we can get a read and quickly pivot and, you know, lean into our winning test. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You're, you're creating a social media activation along with an in-store activation. How does that work with your director of sales or the person executing the in-store partnership? Like how, how do you, question. how do you tie yeah. it all in together What's yeah. the relationship with the director of sales? Yeah, I got to tell you, I am fortunate. Well, so I have, I have a little bit of sales in my career path as well. So I'm actually very empathetic <laughs> to what's happening on the sales side. So I'm also very fortunate. We have a great VP of sales at Swanson and she and I are able, we're, we constant collaboration, you know, we're talking every week, if not every day. 
But as part of like bringing a new retailer, for example, I am part of the part of the pitch. I'm also part of the here's how we can support you from a marketing standpoint so that we're sort of I'm there on the front end with her. And then when it comes down to really planning those are tactical activations, it's me and her working together to say, okay, what levers do we want to pull? How do we want to invest? Because the way we're structured is she owns that marketing budget. So it's really saying, hey, if I have X dollars, Aaron, what would you recommend that I do? And then I come back with my pitch to say, here's how I'd spend those dollars. Here's what I think we can test to learn. Then she might come back and say, well, I need to use some of those dollars for an in-store activation. And I'd say, okay, well, then we want to, you know, maybe we want to consolidate more of our spend during that activation so we can really get the biggest return possible. So we really try to, we kind of work in parallel, but then also collaborate as well. So, and I'm really lucky because she's great at doing that. And we're a small enough organization that we can have those one-on-one conversations. Um, She's also, you know, well, she kind of wears a couple hats too. And we'll even pitch in on if we're, let's say, using an outside agency for digital, like, you know, being a contact for that agency as well as me. So we've, I mean, I've been really lucky in this role is, is that, you know, our sales and marketing teams do really well together and are very collaborative. Yeah, we're finding that's like the key in a lot of conversations we're mm-hmm. having. You know, there are some companies that are siloed, small or big, but the the ones that tend to be more successful are this um, joint role. H- have you ever thought of like there's a big store, there's a big in-store activation and maybe running social outside of that activation time? So if you're running the in-store activation in November, there's a big push in October and December to see if you can mm-hmm. like keep that velocity churning. I mean, it's for us as an agency, we are doing a lot of what you're saying too. There's an in-store activation. We're pushing it at that time. Yeah. Because, you know, kind of all eyes are, but oh, have you ever thought yep. of doing it the other way? We do. Yeah. We, and that's funny you say that because we are in a bit of a test right now where we're, we are in an in-store activation right now, but having plans to continue to push on our social push to those retailers after the fact. So um, we've done that a little bit, but this is, I think we have a more measured way that we're running at this time. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if we keep sort of keep the foot on the pedal, how much velocity can we continue to drive? You know, I'd mentioned before I'm making up numbers, but right. Like you, you run uh, an activation while there's an in-store promotion, let's say you see 30% lift versus seeing only a 15% lift afterwards. If we continue to push on the pedal, do you see that 30% last longer? Does that 30% only go down to 25 rather than 15? And that's the piece that we're trying to figure out is how much pressure do you put on after an in-store promotion occurs? So it's, I mean, it's, it's constant test and learn. Like, I wish I could say like yeah. every time this is what you want to do. I mean, that's just that the, that's the fun part about the role though, right? Yeah. Like it's never the same thing twice. Like we could try to apply repeat what we've done on the last campaign with this campaign, it might perform completely differently. You know, it's, it's so, there's so much variability, which is like the fun part about it. That's the fun. That's how you, you keep content fresh. You keep messaging fresh. You keep your approach fresh. That's, I mean, that's what's, that's what's fun about this. In that vein, I think as a buyer, you see a lot of these like social pieces. There's always a slide in the deck that, you know, it has a social angle, either robust or very passive. Isaac and I have talked about it. We've talked about it with a few people on the pod. Like how, like, is there a measurement number? Is there a, 
you know, is there a piece of social media that is is really worth, you know, talking about? Like there's followers, there's views, there's, you know, uh, the uh, engagement sort of, you know, numbers. Like, is there one that you lean towards? Is it very just kind of specific for, you know, what you're pitching? Like if you're going to put social media on a, on a deck, is it, you know, is there a certain piece that you're like, hey, like this is what really matters? Like we only have, you know, 800,000 followers or 80,000 followers or whatever, but actually we get tons of engagement on video or yada, 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 you know? Yeah. You know, ultimately, be, and I think this is because of my sales background, we do, we lean into the engagements and the followers and here's a number of influencers and creators we work with. But ultimately, from a buyer's perspective, what they care about is like, how much revenue do you think you're driving? How much traffic are you driving in store? And I would say we lean more heavily into like what's in it for the buyer, what's in it for that retailer with what we're doing. You know, we could have one influencer. I mean, that's huge. Or you could have 500 that are, you know, have the same amount of impact. I don't know. And you could tell me as a, as a former buyer, right? Like, who do you care as long as long as you're bringing people in store and we see that lift. So I think ultimately for us, we feel like the, the story to tell is here's what sort of incrementality we can drive with these activations, but we also want to provide proof. Like, here's how we're getting to that. But ultimately, this is where it's going to get you. Yeah, I think ultimately, if you can have that story, that's best. I think, mm -hmm. I think we're still in a in a phase where there's a lot of brands, especially ones that are smaller than you, that might not have those same tools. Like, they're just looking for any sort of data point, and you know, this might be you know the right kind of guidance to say like, hey, like you don't necessarily just have to put social on a page, like leverage it once, work with a agency or a partner to really kind of build, to your point earlier, a case study that mm -hmm. says, this is what happens when we kind of activate because we have a small but passionate or what, you know, mm -hmm. uh, consumer base. So I think that's just really helpful guidance to the community to just say like, hey, like some of it might actually just be ways that you can get to other pieces of data like engagement before and after or sales before and after mm -hmm. or, you know stuff like that right and ultimately i mean i think i think that builds I mean, my experience has been what builds confidence for buyers is when you do have a case study when you can say like nobody wants to be the guinea pig right mm. like no retailer wants to be the guinea pig that, yeah but what <laughs> but when you can come out and say i've worked with xyz retailer although might be smaller than you here's the case study because that can be that in a sense can be applied, repeated and enhanced, right? And I think every, you know, and I think even being candid with buyers too, to say, hey, we did this with another retailer. Here's the case study. Here's what we learned. This part might not have performed as well, but now we know we need to do this. We're iterating, and, yeah. Right, right. And we, we either have plans to do this or we're willing to test this on you. So I think it's, it's I think you can show some vulnerability. I mean, I don't think you have to, I obviously want to go in there confident and say, we have a plan in place of how we're going to drive engagement and drive velocity and, and incrementality, you know, through a social channel, but like, Hey, we did this campaign. It didn't work out perfectly, but now we know we need to do this. Like there's a vulnerability that's real. And I think that's, it's okay. I think that's okay. Yeah. I think for me, you know, as a buyer, it was getting to positive results is always great. But okay. I think for me, especially with smaller brands, it was, like, are you using your tools in your toolbox? Like, yeah. that was to me most important. Like, I'm going to put you on the shelf and are you like, yeah, like a great promo plan is great. 
Yeah. But that's table stakes, really. So yeah. what other ways are you leveraging these tools? And I think this is a great example of like ways that you can, you know, especially with social media, you can, you know, you can at least show a buyer like, hey, like we are, you know, we're iterating, we're trying to find the best way to, you know, engage and and push on these things. And we've tried you know, 27 different things and we're really getting this tailored in and we use this at this small retailer, we think that might have some legs or whatever that dialogue is, I think would be, you know, really helpful. So yeah, and we have a benefit too, sorry. We have the benefit of, you know, on our Swanson core business and WEO business, we have a direct consumer business as well. So we have insights on what that consumer looks like. So we have that benefit as well that we can use that to model out. Like, how do you model that out to help you in paid social? How do you use that to model out and use in other digital channels? And that has been really key to help us as well, like get on shelf and help, you know, help drive some of those digital programs that we're running. Got it. Ryan, I got a question for you. When you were at Target, sure. would, would you see like Target's obviously one of the biggest, but with this case study, and I think that's an amazing point, like how big would that case study have to be for it to be valid for you? Like, could it be a, a, a small chain? Could it be a part of a CVS campaign? Like for you to be like, oh, I could take this and like, we could probably, you could probably replicate it for Target. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it would depend on the size of, of what you're at with Target. I think if you're pitching to Target, mm-hmm. I think it's probably mostly just narrative. Like, hey, like we are willing to use all these tools. Like we are going to have a great launch. We're going to execute the right way. We're going to be in stock. We're going to, you know, promote mm. when necessary, like here's the seasons, like all kind of the broad message. But then, you know, not only that, like we're getting, you know, we're putting a lot of time and resources around social media because we really feel like that can, you know, bring more with us. And that's how we're going to leverage, you know, when if we can get on shelf, we're going to really be able to do that because we've seen success here, success there. I think if you're already on shelf, then it's like a proof of concept, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, maybe it's an applicable store count. Like, hey, like we are in 500 stores. So we, you know, looked at, you know, a region of Kroger that was 400 stores and we, you know, tried this thing or, you know, we are planning on, trying this you know in another retailer and we think it can work for target or whoever you're talking to so i think it's probably some sort of you know meaningful piece if all you have is a small test i think you just talk about the small test and how it's going to extrapolate or you know Mm -hmm. it's all sales and narrative at that point but i think showing that you're going to leverage tools and you're getting better at it is what i really wanted to see as a buyer you're either you know, going to drive sales if I put you on shelf or you're thinking about ways beyond just the normal to, to press the gas pedal and sell more and stay on shelf and be better and things like that. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then also to kick it back to Aaron, another thing that you just commented on was your direct to consumer business Mm -hmm. and how that could be useful in a meeting to a potential buyer. So like how Mm -hmm. much, what are you actually providing like in conjunction with your sales team, like direct to consumer information? Right. Well, we talk a lot about like our active customer 
talents that we have across the brands. I think that's, that's attractive to say that there's a proof point to say we have people who are actively engaged with the brand now and buying from us direct. So that's sort of a sample size. And here's how we're bringing them into the fold on the direct to consumer side. So even demonstrating, demonstrating how we bring them to, let's say Swanson.com and, you know, talking, we try not to give away too much of the, the, the proof, but like to give them the volume of consumers and really like what the basket sizes look like, that helps them to understand what sort of incrementality it could drive in retail as well. So um, I think it's, it's, again, kind of going back to your point, Ryan, like if you have a proof point of like, we're doing this somewhere else, whether it's brick and mortar retail or it's direct to consumer, you know, I think it's, it's an, just another proof point of how you're bringing people in and how you're converting them on the brand. Yeah, how you're engaging yeah, with your yeah. your most loyal yeah. consumer and right, you know, right. how that's going to translate when you turn them on to, you know, such and right. such retailer or whatever. Right. Yeah, and we talk a lot, about, and that's to that point too, we talk a lot about loyalty. We talk about, you know, frequency of purchase. We talk, you know, lifetime value. We talk about, you know, how long customers stay with us. And that's, I think that's a really powerful message too, when you can share that as well. Um it's it's just a nice demonstration of the strength of the brand and the products. Are buyers ever asking, like if you're pitching, let's say a regional chain, are they ever asking how many consumers you have in a specific area? Um, no, I think we, we generally just kind of share our broad active customer counts. Um, our questions, because we do manufacture you know, the, the Swanson branded products are more around like what types of solutions are people looking for related to this? Not so much an active customer count, but almost like more product focused mm -hmm. questions and more um, how can we provide the right solutions that might not be on shelf now? Yeah, I think to that point, you can, especially when you get into larger retailer that is you know maybe there's more testing options or more regional options like i asked vendors all the time where they thought they would be strongest so mm -hmm. as you know as you're building out these social media pieces and you're testing a different retail you know i would give the advice of you know understanding certain regions like you know hey like we are selling like crazy, you know, for whatever reason in Miami, you know, maybe yeah. because of X, Y, and Z, but that also gives buyers the opportunity to go like, Oh, like, you know, I need, you know, or I want, you know, this product in such and such region, or I want to test it here. And they're strong there because they've mm -hmm. done some geotargeting there already. And there's always, there's some loyalty there. So I think that's ways to, as you know, as a brand, as you're quantifying that data to say like, Hey, like, you know, we've been strong here. We've run campaigns here mm -hmm. and documenting that and understanding some of that is always really helpful when it comes to recommendations or testing or regionality. Yeah. And this is, we're able to do that too. And then we can even draw on that direct to consumer piece because we know where the highest concentration of customers are. So we're able to sort of say, we know this data from retail, like these regions are strong with this, but we also know on the D2C side, this is where we see strength as well. So it's nice to be able to bring those stories together. There's a lot of power in, in bringing that omni-channel like conversation together. Yeah, yeah it kind of just speaks to your, you know, you know, speak to, it just adds to like your broader knowledge of your brand and how you're going to leverage mm -hmm. that and how you're going to be successful at that retailer. That's all super helpful. And I think, 
you know, I, as I kind of mentioned it before, I think translating that, like you can articulate it really well, like you're in the data and you see it and you run the campaigns. And I think it's the translating either to, you know, if you're a founder, it's translating the data in a pitch or to a salesperson, I think is, is really the part for me is like understanding that them communicating that to the buyer, right? Like, you know, yeah. you got to be able to distill it down or, or, you know, maybe have some sort of information session. So if they find an angle in a meeting, they can kind of take that and run with it and go, Hey, actually we've had a lot of success. Yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The proof points are, they're fun to share. Cause you can tell, even talking to a buyer, you can even see in their eyes when it's a proof point that resonates with them too. So that's, that's totally. the benefit of being back in person with people too, right? Like having those conversations and it gives you a read on like, okay, which data point can I give you that's going to resonate and it's going to help my case? <laughs> Agreed. Um, I feel pretty satisfied. I think our listeners are pretty satisfied. How you feel, Ryan? No, this was great. I thought this was lots of really, really helpful dialogue. Aaron, Aaron this is fun. Yeah. And, right? um, well, we'll catch you next time, Aaron, on a, on a nice nine mile run, maybe. Cause I mean, you know, you like yeah. to chat and run. So um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I also swear a lot when I run. So I don't know if you want to record that. <laughs> this podcast was nice and PG. So hopefully the yeah. next one we can get a little, maybe even more fire. And right. Right. Some F-bombs and go crazy. Well, right. <laughs> um, thanks, Aaron, Ryan. You're All the right. Pleasure. Always, and uh, we'll yeah. be in touch. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys. Take, Take care. care. Thank you. Bye.